Hi, I'm Katie Burke, Associate Editor at American Scientist Magazine. In our Pizza Lunch podcasts, we interview scientists who give lunchtime lectures at our headquarters in North Carolina. F. Ivy Carroll is a Distinguished Fellow for Medicinal Chemistry at the Research Triangle Institute, where he is the director of their Center for Organic and Medicinal Chemistry. Carroll has spent more than 30 years studying potential treatments for substance abuse. Among them are two compounds, RTI-336 and jd Tick, that he and colleagues studied as potential treatments for cocaine abuse. Another compound is a potential diagnostic agent for Parkinson's disease called iodine-123-RTI-55. I began our interview by asking Dr. Carroll how he became involved with this research. So Dr. F. I. V. Carroll, how did you become interested in studying compounds used to treat substance abuse? In the late 1970s, early 1980s, drug abuse became a very serious health problem in the United States. The first was heroin. That was rampant uh, not only in this country, but all over the world. And I saw an opportunity that I thought the what I knew how to do in the areas that I'd worked in, I could apply to drug abuse. And it looked very interesting, very challenging. It just continued to be a serious health problem, not only back then, but today. And it doesn't look like it's going away, so I'd keep working in it. In developing a compound to be used to treat cocaine abuse, what did you want the compound to be able to do? People quit taking whatever the substance, cocaine or heroin or or methamphetamine. There's a great tendency to relapse. And for the most part, kind of compounds we were developing would be to treat relapse. For instance, varenicline, the treatment for uh, smokers, They actually start while you're still smoking as you gradually get off of it. Some of your most recent work has been studying substance abuse and specifically cocaine abuse. You said J.D. Tick is an opioid antagonist or a kappa receptor antagonist. What does that actually mean in the brain? Well, the brain is made up of lots of different receptors and three of them have to be opioid-related. They have been named the mu, delta, and kappa receptors. They control pain. They control mood. They control some cardiovascular. They they control lots of things that humans do. And you then make use of that knowledge to design drugs to better control what they do. And one you would know best probably is morphine and pain. And morphine interacts with the mu receptor. That's what its dominant site is. And as a result, it releases pain. But it, as you know, it also can cause depression. It can cause a lot of other things. Uh, Kappa is kind of the opposite of mu. And through the work we've done, the work that others have done, we we found that Kappa uh, opioid receptor antagonists are active in mood disorder, depression, anxiety, and schizophrenia are probably the three most well thought of as mood disorders. That's what uh, the kappa antagonists do. But each one of those receptors, mu, delta, and kappa, are critical to the brain's operation, just like thousands of other receptors. Can you tell me a little bit more about J.D. Tick? Denny Zimmerman, who was a scientist at Eli Lilly, uh, like me, was working in the opioid area, and they had developed a class of what was called pure opioid antagonist. 
but they had stopped. They were not going to do any further work in it, and Denny and I got to know each other well enough that he thought maybe we could carry it further and do some things he hadn't done. About that same time, there was a lot of new techniques coming available there uh, so that you could do things faster and easier to learn more about a class of compounds. And we applied those tools, technology, to the class that Denny had developed. And out of that, we were able to develop JDTIC and were able to do something that they hadn't done. Even though they had made hundreds and hundreds of compounds, they couldn't get selectivity. But we were with these new tools. So we worked hard and were a little bit lucky. And as a result, we discovered the, only the second kappa antagonist ever developed. And it turned out to even be better than the first kappa opioid antagonist developed. And then we began to push it into the various in vitro and animal models that one would do to characterize a kappa opioid antagonist. And JDTIC just looked better and better and better until we carried it all the way to phase one clinical trials. Humans may not be like animals in the, what you're studying with JDTIC. If you believed animals, it would, may have been one of the safest compounds ever developed and yet we ran into a toxic effect when it went to humans. So humans certainly were different from any animal model we studied in that case. And so that's where J.D. Tick comes in. It's one potential treatment to prevent relapse. Certainly J.D. Tick is a little easier to visualize. I'm not so sure at 336, uh, which was really a cocaine-like compound that that could replace cocaine. It, it could be both. It could help people gradually remove to get under psychological treatment, but it also could be used to, to prevent relapse because you could take it and the brain would think you were satisfied because it's occupying the sites, but you're not getting the rush. You're not getting the uh, other effects that, that we hopefully designed out of cocaine like 336. It had potential of either just a treatment as you were getting off of a substance, but also potential for a relapse as well. What is the difference between 336 and JDTIC, just to make sure everybody understands that those are two different drugs? Well, from a biological sense, they interact with two completely different sites in the brain, and those different sites affect different things that a human does. The dopamine transporter, which is where 336, as well as cocaine interact, is the reward mechanism. As I've indicated in the uh, JDTIC, which is interacting with the kappa opioid receptor site, it's to help indirectly affect mood and maybe even memory. And uh, we don't know for sure, you know, what the absolute mechanism of action is, but it's not the reward process directly. It's more in an indirect way to prevent people from, for wh whether it be memory or some other feature, to start back taking a substance of abuse. So was it 336 that had the application in Parkinson's? No, RTI 336 itself is not useful. It doesn't have the kind of structure. What the Parkinson's diagnostic agent is, is a compound that comes from the same class of structures, but it has an iodine in it as part of its structure. And iodine is an uh, atom that can be modified uh, so that SPET imaging can pick it up, the, the iodine-123. 
except from coming from the same class of compounds, there's no similarity uh, to it. It does interact with exactly the same site because the dopamine transporter, uh, which represents dopamine neurons, are what's lost in Parkinson's disease. And you can measure that with, well, DopaScan or ID-125, RTI-55 by SPET imaging techniques. The SPET imaging techniques and using those for Parkinson's disease diagnosis, how did you jump from the development of the cocaine abuse treatments and then jump into this Parkinson's disease diagnosing technique? RTI-55 happened to be one of the compounds we were developing as a potential treatment, just like 336. But working with Mike Qr, who had been one of the people who was very much had developed the techniques of uh, imaging agents, quickly recognized when we saw what it did that it had that potential. And, of course, knowing that, we immediately started developing it for that technique. It's, it's like what happens uh, in a lot of drug discovery. You find something you're not looking for, you recognize it, and then you develop it for that new purpose. And that's exactly what happened with RTI-55. Dr. Carroll, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Thank you. This has been enjoyable and to have an opportunity to come out and tell a group what we're doing. I hope they enjoyed it. I produced this Pizza Lunch podcast in collaboration with American Scientist web managing editor Katie Lee Corder. American Scientist magazine is published by Sigma Psi, the Scientific Research Society. The music is Spot by Ardent Octopus, courtesy of Medios Musicali.